Ladies and gentlemen, we're expecting some moderate turbulence. Please remain seated and enjoy the show. Are you ready to start another podcast, Adele? Yes, I'm ready to start a podcast, Jeremy. Thank you. Huffman. Well, it's been a while. It's been more than a week, and we promised we would do this every week, but uh, we're back. We kind of we kind of discussed and wanted to find a new direction for our podcast, right? Yes. Uh, all right. So, what have you been up to since we last uh, recorded a podcast, Adele? Well, I'm not really sure what's happened since we last talked. Well, it's been a couple of weeks, so obviously COVID's been. Co- yeah. I think I everything mean, shutting down from COVID was when we recorded our last little little podcast. Yeah, well, essentially, in the whole month of April, I flew once. Yeah. So I worked one time, which is unusual. But for our circumstance right now, it was to be expected. And now we're in May and I am currently off duty. So kind I'm of laid, laid off, off. Pretty much, yeah. And who knows what's going to happen in June or July or August. So we're kind of playing it by year. Yeah. But a lot of people within our airline don't really think that it's going to go back to normal until Christmas time. I, I think it'll go back to normal before then because when – I mean, in my, it's all opinion, right? But in my opinion, when certain restrictions get lifted, people are going to want to go back and visit family, visit friends. Like – we're, I don't want to say we're stuck, but like we're in Calgary and a lot of our family is back out East. I can't visit my, my family in Toronto. You can't visit your family in Montreal while this is going on. I've been to Toronto, I think twice, uh, but I had to stay at the hotel and not do anything. I ordered food in and, and brought my own food. So, and you haven't been back. Well, no, you, you saw the dogs and your family through, uh, through the window, right? Yeah, I got a layover in Montreal at the end of March, but that's the first time I took a hotel when I was home Mm -hmm. because of this whole pandemic. And it wasn't smart to go home because my mom has interactions with my grandfather. And your grandfather's how old? He's in his nineties. Yeah. So it's not smart to. Well, it's just not smart anyway. What if my mom is susceptible to it? We don't know. Yeah. Like she's older. Yeah. My stepdad is older. Like, we can't discount that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a weird time. So, we're in Calgary. I'm not working. You're sort of working, I'm but working still not, not really working. I, I I mean, I'm technically still working, but I haven't actually gone to work since late, mid, mid-April, mid maybe. I think Probably. it was my last flight, mid to late April, and, and so far in May. Although, I've had to go to the airport once, but I haven't been on any flights since. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the new direction of uh, of this podcast and certain things we're introducing. Well, let's not make it sound like a new direction. It's more of an added segment to the podcast. I like that. Added segment. So okay. we're just... Right now, obviously, it's kind of difficult to talk our day-to-day lives as flight attendants because there is no day-to-day life of us being flight attendants. Our day-to-day life is staying at home and yeah. uh, watching Netflix on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone. And Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and, and, and. Yeah. Yeah. 
but uh, an idea that we both sort of came up with separately, but like at the same time. Same, same, yeah. Um, is to introduce stories and events and occurrences that have happened within the airline industry in history yeah. and talk about these events, one event per podcast yeah. in a sort of, not story time, but like a a retelling it, of what happened. And generating a discussion with Yeah, it. so yeah. it's going to be sort of like a plane crash, a hijacking, mm-hmm. a any sort of news event within the airline industry uh, over the past whatever in, in history yep. of the airline industry and we'll discuss it and yeah yeah just uh jeremy's going first he has this he has as he calls it his script all laid out he's ready well, I've done i will my do research, mine yeah. next week yeah um i don't know what i'm gonna do yet but we're gonna try this out see how you guys like it and i think in the future we'd like to to sort of share like for one our own experiences uh, and stories that have happened to us within the airline, but as well, like we'll get our, some of our friends and uh, other colleagues within the airline industry to share some things that have happened to them as well. So to kick things off with uh, with our first little story or whatnot, uh, I, I'm going to start it off. So this is the incident, which was uh, TWA or Trans World Airlines Flight 847. This was a multi-leg through flight. It started in Cairo and it was concluding in San Diego. Uh, the en-route stops, this is back in the day, so the en-route stops were Athens, Rome, Boston, and L.A. Uh, so this is 145 passengers on board, a 727-200, and this was on the leg going from Athens to Rome, and this was June 14th, 1985. You with me so far? Uh-huh. Okay, so crew on board, we had Captain John Testrake, uh, First Officer Phil Maresca, uh, the flight engineer, which was Christian Zimmerman, the flight service manager, which is their like lead flight attendant or purser, was Uli Derrickson. She's the one we're going to focus on for a lot of this. Uh, and then the other flight attendants on board were Judy Cox, Hazel Hesp, Elizabeth Howes, and Helen Sheehan. Uh, so as I said, there was 145 passengers on board. Some of those were part of the U.S. Navy um, diving team. And divers, I mean, these are underwater like construction scuba workers, not like platform diving in the Olympics or anything like that. Still with me so far? Yeah. Um, so this flight was going from Cairo to San Diego with, with how many stops? So it was like a massive through flight. So it would go Cairo, Athens, Rome, Boston, LA, San Diego. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, not really a direct flight. No, 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 no. Wait. They say direct, but not nonstop or something like that. I don't know. Those are airline terms. Okay, so this leg of the flight is from Athens to Rome. Okay, so early in the morning. Again, this is June 14th, 1985. Shortly after takeoff from Athens, the 727-200 was taken over by two Lebanese hijackers. These two had smuggled on a 9mm handgun and several grenades. Purser Uli Derrickson she took a kick to the chest from one of the hijackers as he attempted to force her to go into the flight deck with him. The other hijacker was holding a hand grenade with the pin removed, and he was kicking at the door trying to get it open as well. 
Now, once they were in the flight deck, two of the pilots were pistol whipped in an attempt to gain control and show authority. This is apparently something hijackers do at the beginning of a hijacking, uh, show some violence, and that's just a way to kind of prove their authority um, to establish control. So the hijackers spoke Arabic and very little English, leaving communication difficult. Uh, one of the hijackers did speak fluent German, which that purser Uli Derrickson spoke. So she was now left as the translator between the pilot and the hijackers. And again, like I said before, we're going to focus a lot of this on Uli Derrickson. She's someone I learned about back when I was uh, when I was in training um, as a facilitator uh, with our airline. So the aircraft originally intending to land in Rome was now diverted east to Beirut, Lebanon. Before landing air traffic control, they denied clearance, leaving Captain Testrake to argue with them. And at one point, Captain ex exclaimed, this is a direct quote, he has pulled a hand grenade pin and he is ready to blow up the aircraft if he has to. We must, I repeat, we must land at Beirut. We must land at Beirut. No alternative. I'm getting goosebumps just saying that because imagine hearing that over the air traffic control uh, over the, uh, the radio there. It's crazy. Now, I'm just going to do a quick little sidestep. We're going to talk about Stockholm Syndrome. Okay, Again, this is something we learned about back in training. So Encyclopedia Britannica defines Stockholm Syndrome as a psychological response wherein a captive begins to identify closely with his or her captors as well as with their agenda and demands. So basically, Stockholm Syndrome, you sympathize with your captors. There's many ways that, ways that hostage takers will use tools to gain the sympathy of their hostages. The first case ever of Stockholm Syndrome and its namesake, it came from a 1973 bank robbery in Sweden. There were four hostages that were held in a vault for six days. After release, the hostages would not cooperate with law enforcement, and those hostages ended up raising money for the burglars uh, for their um, defense. The most famous case of Stockholm Syndrome would involve Patty Hearst. Uh, she was the granddaughter of media mogul William Hearst. She was kidnapped February 4th, 1974 by the Symbionese Liberation Army, or the SLA. So she was 19 at the time. She was taken from her apartment, and she was beaten to the point where she lost consciousness. As per Patty Hearst's account of the ordeal, she was held for weeks in a closet. She was bound, blindfolded. She would only be let out for meals and to use the, the washroom. And she was repeatedly threatened with death. So with the constant threat of death, she was told, the war council has decided or was thinking about killing me or staying with them and that I better start thinking about that as a possibility. So basically saying, join us or die. Uh, so she later said, I accommodated my thoughts to coincide with theirs. So it's the perfect scenario of Stockholm syndrome, right? Uh, so just over two months after her abduction and all this went on, she was seen on surveillance cameras helping that group rob a bank. So all of a sudden, she's one of the gang that helped kidnap her. Patty Hearst. Mm -hmm. Crazy, eh? Um, there's also something also like referred to as reverse Stockholm Syndrome. This is also known as Lima Syndrome. So this is where the captors sympathize with the victims. Okay, so now we're going to go back to TWA 847. So now the plane lands in Beirut. Uli Derrickson pleads with the hijackers to release the women. The hijackers refuse, but she was successful in having them free 19 passengers. There were 17 elderly women and two children released. Okay, the plane is now flown to Algiers uh, in Algeria. Here, another 23 passengers are released, mostly of uh, are American women. 
At this point, the ground crew in Algiers refused to refuel the plane without payment. So this caused the hijackers to threaten with violence towards the passengers. So Uli Derrickson is like, uh, we can't have that happen. So she busts out her own Shell oil card. It's her credit card. Gives it to the ground crew. They charge it for $5,500 worth of fuel, uh, which ended up being about 22,700 liters or 6,000 um, gallons of fuel. Yes. It only cost $5,500. This is 1985. Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. Well, for someone to bust out their credit card and be like, here, charge this. Like, it's not like going up to the Shell gas station around here. <laughs> I mean, this is an airplane. That's well, yeah. Crazy. How did that even work? Did they just kind of bullshit it? No, no, no. She was actually charged. And it says here in my research, she was reimbursed for it. <laughs> Oh, I mean, okay. Uh, so now it's June 15th. So it's one day later. The plane is now on its way back to Beirut. And here's where things get a little dark. So the violence really kicks up a notch. The hijackers target their aggression towards one member of the U.S. Navy diving team. And they use an armrest to severely beat uh, this one diver named Robert Stetham. He was 23 years old. So upon landing in Beirut, the hijackers shot him in the right temple and threw his body onto the tarmac and then shot him again. Brutal. Now, while they're in Beirut, seven American passengers, allegedly they had Jewish sounding names. They were removed from the air aircraft and held hostage in a Shia prison. At this point, nearly a dozen additional thugs joined the hijackers and they took the plane back to Algiers. So what's their point? They're just using this as a taxi. <laughs> it seems like it, but they were making demands of over 700 people to be released from Israeli prisons and things like that. They claim to be part of Hezbollah, which is based in Lebanon, but Hezbollah has always denied any culpability with this, uh, with this terrorist attack. So, so they apparently they were seeking release of prisoners at the time, but that never really happened. So now they're just kind of bringing the aircraft back and forth, trying to, Prove their point or whatnot. Uh, so now that they're back in Algiers, hijackers release another... Accounts aren't really clear. Somewhere between 53 and 65 passengers. They also released at this point the five flight attendants. So plane now goes back to Beirut, where it's arrived now on June, 20, uh, June 16th. So this whole ordeal started on the 14th, so it's two days later. Uh, the remaining... 40 hostages are split up and held throughout Beirut. So they're all released now from the plane, but they're held captive all around Beirut. One hostage is re released due to heart trouble. The other 39 are held captive for another two weeks until June 30th, while negotiations were going on with U.S. President Ronald Reagan at the time. On June 30th, they were finally all released. So why did I bring up Stockholm and Lima syndrome? So Stockholm syndrome is a real thing. When repeatedly being threatened by your captors, it's easy to sympathize with them. Now, Uli Derrickson used Lima syndrome to her advantage. She was out, able to make connections with one of the hijackers, and at one point, he asked her to marry him. Yeah. Uli Derrickson later said this was the most terrifying moment of the whole ordeal. So it's also reported that the hijackers wanted to identify Jewish passengers, and that Derrickson had uh, hidden the passports of anybody with a Jewish-sounding name to try and save them from any possible uh, uh, violence uh, towards them. 
So Uli Derrickson worked for TWA until the late 80s, and then in the 90s, she actually joined Delta as a flight attendant. She was awarded the Silver Cross for Valor by the Legion of Valor, and she was the first woman ever named to do so. She testified as a prosecution witness at the trial of one of the hijackers, Mohammed Ali Hamadi, uh, and he was convicted of murdering Robert Stetham, and then he received a life sentence. Uli Derrickson continued working as a flight attendant, and she was diagnosed with cancer in August 2003. In February, uh, on February 18th, 2005, she passed away at her home at the age of 60. So she will always be remembered as a true hero and role model to those of us in the airline industry. Robert Stetham was honored posthumously and awarded with the Purple Heart and Bronze Star. An Arleigh Burke class destroyer commissioned in 1995 was named the USS Stetham in honor of Robert. And for those of us airplane geeks, we're always curious what happens to the aircraft that's involved in these incidents. So the 727-200 continued flying until it was re uh, retired on September 30th of 2000, and then it was su subsequently scrapped in May of 2002. And that's the story of TWA Flight 847. What do you think of that? Wow. Good job. Thank you. That was our first one. Yeah. Any questions, comments? It was well-researched. Good job. <laughs> well, I'm impressed. And I hope uh, you guys at home enjoyed that just as much as I did listening it. This was my first time hearing it, obviously, because it's kind of interesting to have it read for me the first time live. Mm -hmm. We're taking uh, inspiration <laughs> from one of our favorite podcasts, is any, if anyone can... Uh, guess what that is uh, it's also one of the most popular podcasts out there yeah what what are your thoughts on that like how do you think they handled the situation uh obviously in today's landscape we would not want the aircraft airborne again so although yes it's very commendable that uli offered up her own her own shell credit card to pay for fuel to get the aircraft going so there wouldn't be violence against the passengers uh, in a post 9-11 world, we wouldn't want the aircraft airborne again because it could then be used as an additional weapon, killing more people in the process, right? Yeah, well, it's crazy. It lasted so long and it was just going back and forth constantly. Mm -hmm. um, I'd never heard of such a story. So, I mean, but that's a whole different world of hijackings um, yeah. in the 80s. Yeah, that was 70s. in 85. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot more hijackings and a lot more like incidents of that sort. Well, obviously, yeah. As opposed to to now, like that's our worst nightmare mm -hmm. as airline crew. But there are so many procedures, so many security checks, so many everything that you, there's kind of no way for that to happen anymore. No, and like I mean, since I started in the airline, security's been pretty major thing. And since I've started in the airline. Uh, we've had 9-11, so security got a lot tighter after that. And we had the incident in 2005 uh, where they were trying to use liquids as explosives. Uh, and so that made security. Now we, we all know the, the 100 milliliter rule, you know, one liter bag. Um, so those are just the changes that have happened since I've started. I, but what's crazy to think about with this, the incident I just read, that happened in 1985. Okay, so that was only about 16 years before 9-11. It's been 19 years 
almost since 9-11 happened. So mm -hmm. that was closer to 9-11 than we are now. Isn't that I see nuts? your point. Time yeah. flies, eh? I mean, it's a good thing we've put that kind of violence and airline disasters behind us, hopefully. I mean, we're de now dealing with a pandemic, which is a whole different kind well, of... Well, yeah. A whole different kind of disaster, yeah. That's affecting everyone, not just the airline industry, but... Uh, I mean, if the airline industry wasn't so booming... Some could say that maybe it wouldn't have spread so easily. Well, yeah. And then just the precautions you have to take if you're if you're suffering any of the symptoms, then stay at home. Don't fly because all you're gonna do Don't is cross spread it. borders, but yeah. Well, I mean, let's look at some of the some of our friends and, and colleagues here in Calgary that have had it and some have had it really bad. Man. Yeah. You know. That's too bad. Anyways, all right, should we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, that was good. Oh, thank you. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't love the accident or the hijacking, but I like that we're taking these stories and bringing them to our podcast. Yeah. And it's a new way for us to research. And you wrote a script, so now it's my turn. <laughs> I have to figure that out. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this and stay tuned for our next installment of Moderate Turbulence. Did you forget what our <laughs> podcast was called? Yes, no. Moderate Turbulence. We'll be coming back uh, every Wednesday. We should be posting a new show. So thank you very much for listening. And remember, always be nice to your airline crew. They might have to save your butt one day. Yep. Goodbye. Bye.